Thanks for tuning in to Andrea in the Morning. This is Andrea Raquel, the social entrepreneur and sugar-free coach. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in and following. I hope you've liked our page on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash sugar-free coach, as well as on Twitter. You can catch me on Twitter at sugar-free coach. I will follow back and reciprocate. I always do. Hi, I'm Brian Cutter, and you're listening to the Living Sugar-Free Lifestyle Show with Andrea in the morning. At least I think you are. If you're not, you're not hearing this. And you're not hearing Andrea, and you really should be because she's awesome. Thank you so much for listening. You guys were so excited to have with us today Janice Malone. She is the author of Burning Out Embers, which uh, I just can't even say anything about it. Y'all just need to go read the book. But she's also the author of several other published works, poetry, award-winning books. Welcome to the show, Janice. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing with your sharing your time with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm honored to be here. <laughs> Thank you. So, Janice, you're very um, well-read. I mean, well-read as a person, but also your works are well-read. I've been reading your reviews. You've won some awards. You write multiple genres and even poetry. So we want to know more about just the personal, Janice. You know, without the author hat on, tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you like to do when you're not writing. Well, I am originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I went to UNC Charlotte and I studied international relations. So that that inspires a lot of my writing, just approaching different um, cultures. Um, But the personal genies, oh man, I love to watch TV. I like a lot of different types of shows from Game of Thrones to Four Weddings and a Funeral. I like to do yoga. I like to dance. I like to sing, mainly in the shower. Um, <laughs> and um, I like to draw. And I'm really just an artistic. I've always been artistic ever since I was a little kid. Drawing, writing poetry, just all that type of stuff. Awesome. So we talked a little bit on an earlier show about being a polymath. You're definitely one of those people, clearly international studies, clearly you're a scholar. And just you can also tell guys by the way she writes. I mean, your your use of allegory and, and your um, the descriptive words that you use, you're just a master at that. Um, sometimes I and I was an English major. I find myself going, wait a minute, and I have to go think back, wait, what did that word mean? And it's really, I mean, just, it's a good book for somebody to read just to expand your vocabulary, people. I mean, it's just really, really amazing. But you also like the arts. So do you, just like kind of how we sing in the shower, do you draw just for fun and you never share it with people, or do you do art that you share? So, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I do have a lot of art that I don't share with people. 
Um, in high school, I actually used to be really into fashion design and sewing. And a piece that I made for this art show was actually in the museum for like six months. Like, so I'm really into a lot of different wow. things. And my struggle growing up has always been just picking one and then just mastering it, you know, because I know I can do a lot of things, but trying to do them all at once is overwhelming. So now I just kind of... St- decided to focus on writing and perfecting that and getting making sure that is you know my master focus and everything else is trying to just I just do it for fun now but a lot of things I've made uh, the world has never seen and now I'm kind of like maybe I should share more of that with myself you know it's it's a balance Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know just like um with a lot of the movie stars that we know oftentimes people will get famous for one thing Mm -hmm. and then you find out later oh wait a minute that person can sing and dance too Mm -hmm. but that's just kind of the nature of the world right yeah it is you're absolutely right about that so so tell me more about this piece that was in a museum was it a costume or what um it was a, a dress it was like an evening gown type of thing um yeah it's on Facebook deep deep in my pictures this is like almost a decade ago oh my gosh I've been out of high school for almost a decade okay anyhow um so yeah I made it in like 2011 2010 I think yeah wow that's awesome I'm really fine So you are award-winning in multiple areas, which is, you know, you say you want to master one thing, but I think, I I think it's safe to say you've mastered multiple things. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I guess I've never really thought of it that way. (laughs) Am I quest to be, I guess, humble? I kind of just keep myself like, oh yeah, you did that, but you can always do more, you know? Um, But yeah, this year I won, I was honored by the Black Caucus American Library Association and Biblio Board, excuse me, um, with their ebook Honor Poetry Award. And it was an amazing experience in DC where I got to meet a lot of other authors that have been writing for like decades longer than I have and other people in the same field and, and other genres. It was, it was an incredible experience. That's awesome. So, What's your favorite? You write a lot of different genres. You're a poet. You are focused on dystopian for your next book. Um, what is your favorite genre, though? What's your favorite oh. thing to write? Oh, I love romance. Like, no matter what genre, you'll always see a hint of that, whether it's a small subplot or if it's the main focus or if it's just kind of in there randomly. Like, I love a good love story. And um, you always will see that in my work just because, like, who doesn't love love? Like, the idea of falling in love and, you know, me and my husband, we've been married for, like, like two years. And um, I, literally, we the way we met is kind of a love story. It's very, very, <laughs> very funny, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll we share. Met, we met through um, a mutual friend. And at first I was like, mm, I don't know. You know, I don't really like being set up. And set ups usually don't work you know, and um, so we met, and he drove three hours to come and pick me up, and at first I was like, I don't know if he's gonna come, you know, he lives three hours away, there's no way, but sure enough, eight o'clock on a Thursday, he came, and we went on a date, and we had such a great time, and the rest is really history, we got married later on that same year, crazy, right? (laughs) You're like me, you're a sucker for a a sappy love story, I love it. 
Yes, I am. That's awesome. So awesome. Yay. Well, okay, so I have to share this with you because I'm autistic, in case you haven't noticed, so I will get totally distracted. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen that meme that's like squirrel. Okay, so Morky (laughs) V is our cousin, so at any moment you might hear her barking or whining, and she thinks she's a cat. She scales the back of the couch, she climbs up on people's shoulders, and, and I knit. So I've, you know, kind of always thought, like, if I let her get a hand on one of these balls of yarns, it's going to be hilarious. Well, she found one today. I've been letting her play with it, throwing it. I kind of tied it in a knot because I knew if she pulled it apart, that would be a wrap. Yeah. But just now, she finally got it loose, and literally, she had it wrapped around her whole body. My mom is untangling her, but if I had just let her go, she would... She would have been in handcuffs. She would have been tied up in it so bad that she wouldn't have been able to get it loose. It was so hilarious. Oh I'm going to put a picture on, yes, on Instagram please. later. It was so cute. <laughs> oh, my God. It was hilarious. Nothing but entertainment. So, yes, during Janice Malone's uh, interview, Morky Fee got tied up in a ball of yarn. Wow. I guess. Play with it. Okay. Yeah. Mom don't want to let her have it. Okay. So <laughs> so so anyway, focus, Andrea. Okay, Janice. Okay, so you are a very, very, very beautiful and striking individual. Um, Solana reminds me when I visualize Solana as I'm reading, I literally have put your picture into her character. Okay. So just so you know. Okay. Um, so I can tell that you're a be- very humble individual, but you know, humble modest doesn't necessarily mean unaware of your beauty. So I want to ask you just directly, do you, are you aware that you're a very beautiful woman? Um, yes, I am. I guess I okay. was growing up. Here's the thing. So growing up, I was an ugly duckling. Like my entire life, you know, boys just kind of walked past me. Or if they did talk to me, it was out of a joke or something. And so mm-hmm. I, not that I don't know that I'm beautiful. It's just I kind of still feel that stigma deep in the back of my mind. And so that kind of has grown into this insecurity that I kind of carry around. And I'm like, mm, I don't really post pictures. But when I do, it's for a certain reason or I don't know. But um, so, yes, I am. And it's kind the same time of you wake up when you wake up that day and you realize that people are taking note of you, it makes you aware, but it doesn't change who you are of so right yes exactly like I'm aware when I look in the mirror I like what I see but at the same time some days I don't you know so it's that mm-hmm. that too and the reason I bring that up is because I feel like this is a conversation not had often enough do you know it's like it's either that women have horrible self-esteem and they even though they're really beautiful they just have no clue and they have Mm. this self-hatred or they're aware and they're not allowed to be comfortable in their beauty because then people start you know saying that you think you're all that Mm. and I like to point out that it's okay that you're beautiful and yet still be humble and walk in that beauty Yes, yes, that's actually, you know what, I never even thought of that before, because, you know, now that I'm, you know, an adult, and I'm aware that I have some level of attractiveness, but at the same time, I kind of feel those stares from, from women, like, they'll grip their boyfriend's hands a little bit harder when I walk past, or there'll be a a lingering eye, and I just, I just don't really know how to address it without being disrespectful or condescending 
And so now it's just, I kind of try to ignore it and not walk in it, uh, you know, but you're right mm. to an extent. Like you, yeah, this is who you are and God made you this way. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. So that's right. That's right. And I believe that if you have a message to share with the world, I mean, there's a reason God made us beautiful because mm-hmm. there's a certain attractiveness going to be attracted to you and that sort of kind of opens the door for you to be able to share more of whatever message it is that you have to share so it's definitely an important part of who you are it's not to be you know put down or to make it seem like oh or you know some people go out of their way to downplay it and and, and act like they don't think they're beautiful when they know good and dog well they are yeah yeah well I love it yeah Okay. Well, you're like me. You don't publish a lot of pictures, like you said, unless mm-hmm. it's necessary. And I love because to be quite frank with you, I feel very uncomfortable following people who have nothing but a page, an Instagram page full of photos of themselves. I feel creepy. Like I don't even mm-hmm. click like, and it's not a, not anything bad or nothing against you. I just feel like I'm stalking you by sitting there scrolling through pages of pictures. That's, it's just creepy to me. Yeah, and I get that because it's just pictures of you. Now, if it's like you doing fashion and you're in different outfits, okay, right? I can I can follow that. Right. But if it's just you and different selfies, yeah, um, yeah, I'm more inclined to follow people that have kind of a an, a passion or a, a a purpose behind their pages. Like if it's for jewelry or if it's for art, you know, I, I love following that because you never right. know where inspiration is going to come from. I've seen stuff and I'm like, oh, that's right. that is a beautiful thing. I'm going to make sure I write something about that or, you know, kind of incorporate that into it because it just fits with the theme, you know? Um, but yes. <laughs> I, I get that. But the reason why I kind of don't post a lot is, well, I already said it before it's just it feels a little vain to me at times just to post like oh I'm feeling great today you know I don't know <laughs> something you said early on when we first met I think or, or maybe it was something I read that you wrote I don't remember if it was a conversation we had or something you wrote mm-hmm. but you said something like um, I'll take the pictures I'll be out and about I'll think I look cute have a nice outfit on I'll take a ton of pictures but then they'll ne- never make their way onto the internet I'm like that too Oh, yes, I did say that. I think it was one of um, a, rep- a response to one of your comments. But yeah, I that's true, too. Like, I'm like, oh, this looks cute. But then some way I'll kind of talk myself out of it um, just because I, maybe it feels like vain to post it or or uh, I don't know. Usually I just kind of talk myself out of it. <laughs> a purpose for it, maybe a picture that you can use later on for something else, maybe. Yeah, maybe that. Mm-hmm. So tell me about like, okay, so when you're not writing for the purposes of, okay, I got to get this novel finished. Do you journal a lot? Do you write every day just for the sake of writing? Ooh. So no, I don't journal. I used to, I used to journal so much when I was younger. And then um, when I was studying like different languages, I used to journal in that language. Like I have this one that's strictly in Portuguese. Don't ask me to say that in Portuguese now because I I can't remember any of it. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Wait, you speak multiple languages? Um, so I did study Spanish in school. I studied abroad in Costa Rica. I took a year of Portuguese and I learned a little bit of French, but I'm not fluent in, I'm only fluent in Spanish, not Portuguese or French. I'd love to be, but nope, just the two. <laughs> That's awesome. 
speak two languages. That's awesome. But you dabble in others. So that means if we were to go to France, you could at least help us to find a bathroom and order food. Yes. Yes. I do not order food. (laughs) (laughs) I I took Spanish for multiple years and I lived in Texas for quite a while. So I I was in Spanglish, you know, Um, (laughs) that's a real language. Right, it is. And then I took French and I ruined it. So now when I try to speak either of them, they kind of come out. So now I speak Franklish. I, I don't know if that's a real oh, language. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, oh yeah, because French and Spanish do have a lot of similarities as far as the grammar and, but the pronunciation is different. So I can understand how you can get those kind of crossed. Yeah. Wow. Right. Right. And English as well. I mean, we steal so many words many different oh, yeah. other cultures yes we do. when you were writing did you struggle with that whole do I use the um, accent mark do I not if like if it's a word that we borrowed from another culture did you struggle with deciding whether to make it more simplified or whether to use the, the accent mark or what have you I struggled with that so the accent marks were probably my most favorite thing about learning other languages just because we don't have them in English we just I always just think English was so basic because it didn't have any. So whenever I had a chance to use an, an accent, I was like, ooh, it goes here, over that O, over that I. And yeah, I, man, I love learning languages. It's just like second nature. You know, but you know, that's a generational thing because we used to. That's why I struggled with it in my writing. I actually had to go through my whole entire book and take out a bunch of accent marks because ooh. they're not acceptable anymore. I was young. That's how you spelled the word fiance, for example. Oh, wow. And now it's considered presumptuous to put the accent mark on the fiance word. Really? Wow. It's, it's, it's weird. I'm noticing now how there's quite a few words like that. Um, I saw a post the other day that talked about oh, donut. Donut D-O-N versus D-O-U-G. I don't even know. How, I'm not a good speller, but you know, the <laughs> And words how we used to use them and how they've kind of evolved. I think mm. social media and the oh, internet yeah. has changed a lot. Yes, absolutely. So it does it throw you off when you're writing in English, or do you just simply have an understanding that we just don't use accent marks? So with my writing, you know, as far as in English, I fian- like words like fiance. I'm. I've never really used an accent mark. So I guess I've never even considered it to be, you know, a, wow. a thing, you know, fiance. Now, Beyonce, I do because, you know, that's Beyonce. You should show some respect. But um, as far as like <laughs> words like donut or like naive, I know there's you can put two eyes over a certain part, but I usually just spell it in, like with one. So I don't know. I just think that accents I've never even considered them to be a thing in English except for like over the letter I that's so awesome interesting now you know my name has an accent mark over the accent aigu and most people call me Andrea and I don't think anything of it but you saying this makes me think oh that's why people struggle with my name because technically if you think about it in English it should be Andrea or Andrea not Andrea Mm -hmm. that's like the French or Spanish you know version of it it wasn't a thing when I was growing up at all you just and I guess it's because 
I mean, it's, it's amazing how much stuff has happened in our lifetimes, you know, but a lot has mm-hmm. changed. But yeah. So, okay. So, so let's shift a little bit. Well, actually I probably should break. You're so much fun to talk to. Um, I can't believe 20 minutes has gone by already. Oh, wow. Crazy. But. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Authors are so fascinating to get to know. And it's like when you read someone's book, it's like you're getting like a, a glimpse into who they are. Mm-hmm. But then you talk to them and you're like, wow, this person's amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's sweet of you. But yeah, I mean, things that, you know, I feel like when you write, you are putting a piece of yourself in there. And, but, you know, the person behind the book is, could be completely different from that. But yeah. Hi, this is Lee Grissom, the author of KLS 9 and Saber 6. And you're listening to the Living Sugar Free Lifestyle Show with Andrea in the morning. Welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking with us. I am having so much fun. I'm going to try to stay focused. Janice is so awesome. So before the break, she was just kind of telling us a little bit about herself. Now I'm going to try to stay serious and focused and ask all the serious writing questions for those of you who are aspiring writers and want to know how she got all this amazing stuff done. So Janice, first tell us like, how did you first start writing? Like what inspired you and made you know that you were going to be a writer? So when I was like 12, 13-ish, I um, started a fan fiction page on um, uh, fanfiction.net. And yeah, I just started throwing stuff together up there. And um, after a while, I kind of dwindled away from it. But in my later years now... Um, I've seen other people do it and I realized all this time that writing was a thing that was always a part of me. I would always be journaling, whether in English or different languages, and it's just something that's always been there and now I'm cultivating it. Mm-hmm. That's so key what you said, cultivating it, because a lot of people see artistic things as something that just happen. And mm-hmm. so then when they struggle, they don't understand it. But it's just like being a football player or a scientist. You mm-hmm. have to, right? Yes, absolutely. It's a muscle that you have to work on daily. There's times I don't feel like writing, but because I have this vision of what this outcome or the product's going to be. And I, I just can't give up on it, you know? And so I push myself to to get out another thousand words if I can. You know, you have to work at it. If you wait for inspiration to come, it will you'll never write anything, you know? So mm-hmm. That's good. So speaking of that, and I'm going to go out of order because just because that's how wonderful conversations flow. <laughs> what, what do you do when you, when you have a deadline and you get what they call writer's block? What do you do? Do you walk away and come back? Do you force yourself through it? What, what's your process for getting past that? Oh, the dreaded writer's block. Um, so for me, what I try and do is if I have writer's block, I will start reading. I'll read um, a genre that I'm not really familiar with like recently I started reading memoirs and usually I don't read those but to um I feel like to overcome writer's block you have to pour more into yourself you know I think of writer's block Mm. as like damn you just don't have enough water to get through it you know um Mm. so so I'll, I'll read something and then from what I've read I'm like whoa this is a great way 
to express this idea. Let me see if I can come up with my own version of it. And that is how I overcome it. Now, everyone's process is different, but that works the best for me. It's just if I can't write, then I need to be reading more. And that's a common thread. That's really what a lot of writers say is that, you know, they turn to reading if they struggle to write. But Mm -hmm. it's interesting what you just said. I've published a memoir and I'm working on my fiction now. And so Mm -hmm. I've been reading. I say that I've probably read more fiction in the past 10 days than I have in the past 20 years. But you're a fiction, a published fiction author. And Mm -hmm. now you said that you've been turning to memoirs. What is it that a memoir offers you to help you write more fiction? Mm. So I recently started reading Michelle Obama's Becoming and Mm. um, and just the way that she expresses her surroundings, how she grew up, the way she talks about people, how they walk, how they carry themselves, how she talks about the way the buildings were built, how she world builds, you know, Um, and how she describes the way she grew up, whether it's through her piano teacher or through how other kids saw her and understanding how one person experienced everything is the very premise of writing you know it's the idea of communicating how someone experienced life whether it is reality but fiction directly comes from you know our experiences and so memoirs are true life stories and you can't get any better inspiration from that Wow. Now, this is, I'm going to give you a huge compliment here, and I do not, do not, if if you know anything about autistic people, I mean, we almost, you know, people think that we have no empathy because we don't, we're not as socially nicey-nice as most people are, Mm -hmm. so this is totally genuine. Reading your book, see, I've read a lot of fiction, some of it, and and I prefer, I prefer nonfiction. So this whole Mm -hmm. reading of a lot of fiction has been a total out of the box thing for Mm -hmm. me. But what I really like about yours is that even though you're very, very, everything you just said about Michelle Obama's book is how I've been feeling about your book. I think you do a beautiful job of giving the detail and the description and allowing the reader to kind of come up with their own picture. I mean, I literally can put myself in these scenes. So I have really, really gained a lot from reading your book. And I just think you did a brilliant job. But what the, the, the caveat I want to add to that is that mm. it's not too flowery. I've struggled with some of them, not to say they're bad, they're beautiful. You know, one book that I'm reading, I really compare it to like Great Expectations. It's so good, but it's almost a struggle for me to get through it because it's so flowery. I forget about the point that, you know what I mean? And not to say that's a bad thing. It's just difficult for people like me. So what I appreciate about yours is that even though it's very descriptive and you're, 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 um, your um, vocabulary is amazing. It's still written very simply and it's easy for me to follow. I don't have to keep going back over and rereading it because you don't lose the point. You don't get lost Mm -hmm. in the description and forget what the point of the scene was. And I love that. And, you know, that's so deliberate because as a reader, I have a personal pet peeve of too much info all at once. I can't stand it (laughs) like when writers dive into all of these details that don't pertain to what's going on because in my mind I'm I'm frozen in time from where you left off with them 
whatever the characters were doing, you know? And so for me as a writer, I deliberately try to keep the reader in the moment. Yeah, I'll, I'll give a little bit of context. I'll give the reader context of what's happening or why it's happening, but we'll circle back, circle back around to where the characters are and even give you a hint of what's about to happen, you know? Yes, brilliantly done. I mean, I am in thoroughly, thoroughly engulfed in each and every scene, each and every character. I know them intimately. I can call their names. I think my favorite character right now is Makai. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, because I can identify. Hmm. Why, why Makai? I'm curious. I love way that you can tell and help me if I don't give too much away I love the way Makai is just according to what most people would describe not it just dry not very personable but you can tell that he has a good spirit mm. he's the knowledgeable one he's feeding himself with information spiritual even but he's a no-nonsense person you know even when you know um James was telling a story once he was like okay what was the what's your point you know and that's yeah. me that's totally <laughs> me but also too I, I'm just so grateful to you for writing about Solana because you've inspired me for some of the titles that I've been working on because my goal is to not just be a crybaby and talk about oh wham 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 you never see women like us on the big screen you know thank thank God for hidden figures even though I, I feel like they took too long to tell story whatever Mm -hmm. um but you know you never see women like us on the big screen yes there are plenty of black women in movies now but not black women like us you don't see nerdy black women every Mm -hmm. character on television or in the movies that I can identify with is a white male who's you know autistic or whatever and I'm like hello you know hello yeah (laughs) you know like um, like I'm curious you know, like when Taranti P. Henson said that um, it's it's not because we wear skirts, it's because we wear glasses, you know, and mm. and that's it there. And so I'm so grateful to you for writing this story, Burning Out Embers, and and it's just, oh, I just love it. I just thank you. I was like, oh, my God, I have to know her. You just, I mean, you did it, and you inspired me to um, get the titles done that I'm working on, but I'm probably going to combine those two characters because, you know, that's the it. It's the spiritual strength, the powerful, mm-hmm. um, superhuman almost, the beauty, but at the same time, that sort of introvert, nerdy, not qu- awkwardness, you know, mm-hmm. all that, and and you gave me all of that. And, and it's my first time ever reading something with those types of experiences that I could relate to. So you, you, you have touched my heart in a very, very special way. Wow. Uh, thank you so much for saying that. You know, when I wrote this, I honestly didn't understand, you know, how it would impact other people. I just know this was a story that you don't really see on you know the big fantasy types of shows you know and I thought this was a really interesting narrative to explore and the fact that you said what you just said is man that that means so much to me right now thank you it needs to be a movie I've only said that to one other person but (laughs) this needs to be a movie and I and guess what if this, if Burning Out Embers becomes a movie, it would be the first movie ever of its kind, ever. There is none. Yes, they've started putting, you know, Lord of the Rings. Of course, you love the, um, 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 I can't think of his name right now, but the man who guards the, um, the Bifrost. Um, 
Uh, what's his name? Everybody his loves name? him. Oh, gosh. I know you're talking uh, about Everybody him. loves him. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So we've started becoming the support roles, but to have this main powerful Black female character, it would be the first movie of its kind, and I want to see it in a movie. I think it would be amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. I would like to see it as a movie, too, you know? <laughs> you have plans to do that? Oh. You know, I haven't really thought that far ahead, um, but that would be incredible, you know? Um, I have written a screenplay for my brother, but, you know, we're still in the process of getting it, you know, off the ground, but um, it's for something he was he wanted. But um, Excellent. So it is possible I can easily turn it into a script, no problem. Actually, Excellent. the way that it's written is kind of dialogue-oriented. And I like that, too, because if you pay attention to what the characters are saying, you also learn more at the same time. You know, so. That's right. That's right. Excellent. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm just so excited to watch this journey unfold. And I'm so very proud of you. I can because I know I'm older than you are. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how much, but a lot. But I'm so proud of you. I really, really am very proud of you because, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves right now in the current day is to see Black people walking around. And, you know, when I interviewed Brian, you know, I, I said he out of the two of us, he's the angry Black woman. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And he's a white man, right? But he, you know, we kind of got into a little debate on Twitter because he doesn't feel like, you know, Black people should be told to kind of calm down, like, don't be so angry. And granted, you don't get to tell me that, yeah. but I can certainly tell other black people that because I know that it doesn't serve us well to walk around angry. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. And the way you are portraying that in this book, girl, it's almost like we've been knowing each other forever <laughs> because you wrote everything that I say. Everything, I'm not going to give it away, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Everything that I say wrote into this character and that's why I want to see it a movie because that's what black people need right now they need to see somebody who has to struggle with getting past their bitterness because mm -hmm. if you don't it is going to eat you up inside mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about the energy taking you out because you're going to take your own self out mm -hmm. and you know that's the, way the magic system in this country that you know in this in the book that's how the magic works it's directly like directly correlates with the how we are inside how we function the energy we put out into the world you get that back and so that's exactly how mm. the magic works if you are using it out of anger and, and bitterness you think that's just going to go away no it comes back tenfold and so i'm so glad yes. you, you picked that up that's exactly yes girl yes <laughs> i mean Oh, I, I mean, I cannot even tell you how excited I was. I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if people will get behind it, to be honest with you, because quite frankly, the media and certain powers that be, they don't want us to get over it. They'd rather, you know, if you're the rich person sitting on the hill, you're going to stay in your rich, powerful position as long as you can keep the common folk at each other's throats. You don't have mm -hmm. to work so hard because they'll get each other off. Mm hmm. So you did that. You did that. And that is going to be part of my review for this. I think every minority person, every person of color on the planet needs to read this book because, you know, at some point, yes. And, and it's not to take away from anything you've gone through. Yeah, I'm a black 
female, veteran, artistic. You know, I got a million and one reasons to walk around angry, mm-hmm. you know, but ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. Seriously. Oh, so I just, I just had to commend you on that. Is mm, you did that. Okay, Andrea, focus. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So tell us for you, what is the hardest part about being a writer, about being an author, getting published, getting the work done? The hardest part, believe it or not, the writing is the easiest part. The hardest part is getting your work out there and getting people to actually read it. (laughs) Um, Because this is a very specific genre catered to a very specific crowd, it's hard to kind of find a lot of um, the demographic that I'm that this is targeted towards because believe it or not I I don't know if minorities really that into this type of fantasy you know um I saw and um, possibly an article never seen anything relate to us yes and that that's the narrative I want to change I love the you know the stories of overcoming slavery and things like that but I'm kind of burnt out of it I'm burnt out on it See, and I like I don't need to keep reading about it. Exactly, exactly. So this is a a completely different narrative of a very real life experience that people can relate to. And now we have a character of color that's also a female that is dealing with these problems. But at the same time, she's trying to figure out her her identity in the process, you know? And um, Mm -hmm. I think if I could just get it to more readers, then it would change you know, the, the industry of how we perceive characters of color in fantasy. And that's the ultimate goal. Thank you for sharing that with me. Now I know how I can help. You know, I went to Spelman. No, I did not know that. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you majored in English. So guess what I'm going to do? I did. Um, I'm going to, after I, uh, when I'm promoting your interview, I'm, I, and I don't normally share my stuff over there, but I'm about to share this over there because every last person in my class group needs to read this book and I know they will eat it up and I know they will love it and I'm going to share it. Shout out to all my Spelman sisters. If you came and you listened to this interview, shout out. Thank you. I know y'all are going to show love to this awesome young sister. Please get behind her and support what she's doing because this is how we make things happen this is how we make change you know this is it yes that's it right there because you know black people read you know black women read what are we reading are we reading you know just only romance and drama about a woman you know uh what what is it and I love Tyler Perry but (laughs) you know sometimes it's work gets old to me because I'm sick and tired of seeing the black woman who got cheated on and the husband who's a crackhead. Mm. I'm sick of that. Yes. I'm sick of it. We need so new voices, you, new you are the answer, my sister. You are the answer. You are the answer. Oh, thank you. That's, that's so sweet. And, and, well, you're my hero. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be just like you when I grow up. So I'm coming <laughs> right behind you and I I will probably reach out to you and ask you to be one of my first readers because, you know, a couple of the ones that I'm writing are um, sort of, I'm just now learning the dystopian phrase. I usually say psychological thriller, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm coming that direction and I have Mm -hmm. some very real life stories that I want to share, but in sort of a fantasy realm and Mm -hmm. you really help see how I can do it. 
I would love to. I, oh, man, I always love beta reading for people. So as soon as you're done or if you need help in the process, I am here. Okay. And that's my next thing for you. I love that. I, I love when I read an author and then I also find out that they have a passion for helping out the writing community. And I noticed on your website, you offer tips for writers. And have you found that supporting other writers sort of kind of helps your process as well? Um, yeah, actually. Um, like there's this, there's um, different groups, different loops that I join all the time. And I look for people that are either in the same genre or in like romance or dystopian. I look for all types of genres, honestly. And when I read people's stuff, it honestly helps me become a better writer as well. I'm like, okay, well, as I'm reading their stuff, I'm like, they could have worded it like this. And I'm like, oh, that's a really cool way to word that, you know? Um, or I'll see something that they've written and I really appreciate that, the beauty of their sentence, you know? And so as I'm helping others, I'm, I'm helping myself, essentially. I think that's the way it should be. So someone said something to me the other day. I want to say, I think it was Lee Grissom in her interview. She talked about visualizing her scenes in mm. her head. And I've seen some other authors say this. Do you sort of play out your scenes as a movie? And do you have your characters already, like, picture a picture of them on your wall mm -hmm. and like really detailed out as you're writing yes so the way I um I write is essentially like that that's why I say listen I'm not in control of what these characters do they they do them I just write about it that's literally how it works for me like I'll sit down and I'm like okay I want these two characters in the scene but I don't really know how I want them to interact and so I'll just kind of meditate daydream a little bit and then the scene will just kind of play out in my head you know and um as far as the characters, um, I really just focus on their appearance and then their personality. So I'll, I'll sketch out, not sketch out, but I'll envision like their hair color, their eye color, and then what kind of person are they? Like if I met them on the street, would I like them or would I not like them? And that's how I go from there. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you said, when I said Makai was my favorite, I want to ask you, and a lot of my audience, I focus uh, on, you know, I focus on veterans and I focus mm -hmm. on people on the spectrum, you know, ASD. And so it's always interesting to me when I feel like someone is writing specifically for the ASD audience. So do you have any experience with people, anyone in your family or you with autism or anyone on the spectrum, any mental health issues or anything like that? Because you've done a beautiful job of um, sort of allowing us to see the struggles of the individual and the, the issues that people have going on inside their head and also mm -hmm. to how they're seen. Mm -hmm. So my nephew, um, he is on the spectrum and um, he's extremely intelligent. Um, just his ability to communicate, you know, is, you know, it's a challenge for us to kind of tell him, okay, this is not, that's not how you do it. And that's, this is mm -hmm. the way you talk to people if you want them to react a certain way. Um, so I do have a nephew. He's about to be, oh my gosh, he's about to be 12. Oh, I can't believe this. But um, I remember the day he Nieces was born. nephews are so awesome. You don't have your own children, right? No, not yet. But um, my in-laws are, are ready for them. 
<laughs> of course they are. Yeah. I have four nieces and nephews. They, they're a huge inspiration to me because I don't have any of my own. So yes, I, I totally relate to that. It, my, it's mind blowing to watch them grow up. Yes. And my niece, I just found out she likes to write. And so I've been kind of helping her with her process. And it's just, oh, it's so rewarding to see her work. That's awesome. My nephew is working on a graphic comic as well. He actually did my cover for my book. And so it is, it's it's so, it's so rewarding to support them in doing things that we didn't necessarily have the courage to do when Mm -hmm. we were their age, right? Exactly. I started at her age and I had someone like me kind of watching over me. I don't know where I would be, you know, so I kind of want to be that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, what's up? I'm Daniel Chapman, a.k.a. 1202 Deuce Lee, and you're listening to the Living Sugar-Free Lifestyle Show with Andrea in the Morning. Welcome back. Thank you so much, you guys, for listening to the amazing episode with Janice Malone, the author of Burning Out Embers. We appreciate her so much for sharing her time and her knowledge and wisdom with us. She's such a valuable resource. You are so amazing. I'm just, I'm so impressed. <laughs> and did you say yes when I asked if you were a millennial? Yes, I am a millennial. Do you consider that an insult or a compliment? Listen, you know, at first I used to get really upset when people would say that, but now I just own the phrase because... I mean, we're the next generation, essentially. So eventually, we're going to have to step into that with, with confidence, you know? So, yes, I'm a millennial. I, I thought that the word, <laughs> yes, I thought that the word they used to describe us was offensive at first, too. Generation is kind of confusing because they cut it off at an odd point, generation X, generation Y, whatever. Mm-hmm. But once you kind of come into your own and kind of realize your purpose and start meeting other people in your generation like you, and you're like, wait a minute, our generation has something special. Then you start mm-hmm. to see that's just the word they used to describe us. Yeah, exactly. It's just a label. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any power. I truly believe that the millennials and what's the next generation after you that like Ooh. our nieces and nephews fit in. I can't remember uh, what they call them. Z, I, think it's generation. I can't remember what it's something. Yeah, but I, I truly believe you guys are going to change the world. My nephew, when he graduated, they said something so profound. They were like, these geniuses have such a unique heart for others in a way that we've never seen before. You know, they don't like mm-hmm. seeing people suffer. Mm-hmm. They truly help when people need help. And, 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 you know, yeah, at first it was like, oh, you know, millennials don't care. Well, no, it's not that y'all don't care. Y'all just don't care about the same old dumb stuff that people have cared about for generations. Mm, like, uh. Certain, yeah, that's true. You know, okay, yeah, I love that you said millennial and that's why certain companies are going out of business. Like, oh, blame the millennials. No, we're just shifting our values. That's it, you know. That's right, that's right. There's no longer a such a thing as too big to fail. You better be doing the right thing because if not, people are not going to spend their money with you. Period. Mm Yes, I love it. So much for the status quo. (laughs) So let's talk status quo. Let's talk about the birth crisis. That's your next 
expect to see from you. I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to give away any spoilers. If you guys want to read, you need to go to her website and find out, you know, the, the what she gives you. But but tell us a little bit, if you can, about what we can expect from that. Uh, this is my baby. Like, honestly, I'm trying to get this traditionally published. And um, right now, word count is at 50,000. Really proud of that. But but the birth crisis is essentially about it. It follows five individuals who are trying to survive an upcoming plague. And so when the plague hits, it shakes the, the city of Brentwood, that's the name of the city, to its core. Both the poor and the rich alike are, are in a, a struggle trying to figure out who they are in this new world. And, um, and you follow these five characters from very different walks of life who are from a police officer to a doctor to a CEO to just a regular everyday uh, accountant who are trying to survive from the fallout of this plague. Nothing like a crisis to shake humans down to their core and make them be able to identify with one another. Amen. Right. And, you know, it's not nothing is considered a crisis until it affects the one percent. And and that really in, inspires the, the, the entire title, you know. And so you can kind of put together, OK, birth crisis. What does that mean? I don't want to give too much away because it's it's a lot. Let me just say it touches on topics mm-hmm. like police brutality, infertility issues, uh, human trafficking. There's a lot in this in this next book. It's definitely a dystopian. I think some people might be offended when I say this, and I know people went through some stuff, but I think that that whole uh, economy crash might have been the best thing that could have happened to humankind in a long time. Really? Why do you think that? Yeah. Because I watched people who had never had a reason to care about people who weren't part of their elite circle all of a sudden have to reach out and identify with people that they had never identified with before. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to be interviewing someone next week um, on Wednesday and his whole entire book basically is about that. You know, he was a successful, rich white male and his whole platform now is about um, going from that to failure to finding out who you are really supposed to be in this world. Mm, wow. So that that situation really taught him to self-evaluate and realize that he probably wasn't yeah. living the life he was supposed to. That Wow. That's right. Your value is not in how much money you make or your big title or yeah. or, you know, whatever job you have. It's not. And, and oftentimes I find in situations, you know, that scenario where you have a person, maybe it's a boss or, or someone who they walk around and they, and it can be anyone, it can be a black woman, a white male, whoever, mm-hmm. but they walk around and they're so comfortable with this position of authority mm-hmm. that they don't realize it's not really what you bring to the table. There's something inside of you. That's what your true value is, mm-hmm. you know, but they're so comfortable and almost afraid of that. They're afraid to let relinquish that power. So they can't mm-hmm. really tap into what their true value is. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a fascinating book your that. friend has. Yeah. And it's not fiction. He doesn't write fiction. He writes true life. So I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk to him. I've known him for 
quite a while and he's a very profound individual. John M. Ketchum, make sure you connect with him because he's an awesome guy. But I'm so excited to read this birth crisis because I have a feeling that you're going to touch on some of those things. And, and, and oftentimes, you know, we can't, people can't really let their guard down and learn certain mm-hmm. lessons until they read it in a fiction perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to kind of. Yeah. When come directly in someone's face with it. So we need to kind of either be laughing or caught right. up in a fantasy world to sort of yeah, learn lessons, it, right? Seeing it and play out in front of you kind of brings you to to reality it disarms you you're like wow maybe I should kind of consider this you know seeing someone else go through it so wow yes yes and I and and also too you know I said I wanted to share it with Spellman and you know we know we need to get it more in uh people of color's hands to read burning out embers but I'm sorry I feel like a lot of white people especially white people who are part of the cause if you will need to read it as well because you can fight for me all day long, but if you don't take the time to understand mm-hmm. my shoes, you're not really mm-hmm. fighting for me. And, you know, really the, the purpose behind Solana's character is really about showing this is kind of what it means to be Black. You're just walking around your everyday life, and then you're mm-hmm. reminded by external forces that, okay, you're different. You can't do this. She can do this, but you can't. Yep. And it, yep. you kind of, you know, That's it's right. like, whoa, what, what, what the crap? <laughs> Who am I then? You know, so I. It is. It's a kick in the. It's a kick in the teeth for it is this burning out embers is going to be a kick in the teeth for some people who are going to read it and maybe even think, oh, this is just a fantasy story until some black woman tells them, uh, that's, no, that's, that's our life. That's <laughs> for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's any average Tuesday when I decide yeah. to go out in public. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, so Janice, tell us a little bit about, you know, a lot goes into writing and a lot goes into publishing, you know, as you talked about the um, getting the word out there part, but what, what, tell us what your team looked like that helped you get this amazing work published. And also now as you're working on this other book and also to the difference between the self-publishing and, and you said getting it professionally published, what does the team look like and who do you want to shout out that helped you through this process? Um, this is going to sound uh, very self-centered, but um, I just had my, my editor, and um, that was really it. I designed the cover. I wrote the book, made sure it was, for the most part, decent, and then I sent it over to her, and then and that was really it. And you know, I made sure I got the ISBN and published it through Amazon and that's really the self-publishing process and you know you saying what does your team look like I'm like oh gosh it's just me and my editor Amy you know (laughs) um should there be more of a team you know but for right now it's just it doesn't sound at all no it doesn't sound self-centered it sounds determined (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's just me and and I sent it to my editor and she thought it was good enough so I published it and you know published it sometime in uh july actually so um it was a long process of making sure the characters fit in the the appropriate narratives and, and making sure that the story just made sense overall and came to some sort of final ending but you know and um so yeah it was just me and amy and shout out to her and um yeah i did the cover i did the back i did the everything else did you have someone pose for your cover? Did you just find a picture that looked like her? Did you, 
have someone draw how'd you do that oh um so i created the picture like through adobe it's amazing thank you i was like this is this is solana this is what she represents it's kind of like this fire outline but still calm that it's at her core you know and that really embodied and gorgeous that too (laughs) and that um and that embodied her her persona and what, what I wanted people to see when they first saw the book. So I love the way you describe her strikingness and her attractiveness. To be to be quite frank with you, I think that that's what a lot of people see when they see black women, period. I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you have smooth skin or not, dark skin or lighter skin. You know, I don't, I don't care what your features look like. There is just something strikingly beautiful about a black woman. And I think if more people were honest, that would be more of a kind of general conversation. Would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's just it's something about how our skin absorbs the sun and, and our hair doesn't bend to, mm-hmm. to gravity. That's just mm-hmm. magical. And I try not to yes. over ex- exert that she's beautiful, but I don't want you to think that she's some mm-hmm. average character. You know, she's right. She's striking. She, when people see her, they stop and they admire her, whether it's an enemy or someone that is trying to get to know her. Everyone has that first initial, whoa you know, yep. and um, made yeah. a point to add that. Yes. And knowing that, I think knowing for, for a lot of black women, understanding that, okay, if you walk into a place and people aren't used to seeing people that look like you, everything's going to stop. I actually oh. had that experience when I first moved to Texas, <gasps> the whole feeling like a record, like that, <laughs> like the record player stopped. Yeah. I had, and, and a lot of people's instinct is to think, oh my God, I'm about to get lynched. But it's like, no, they are literally taken aback by the way you look. It takes their breath away almost. And they don't always know how to describe it, yeah. but it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you saying it, you know, saying it like that actually makes a lot of sense because initially that's what I thought. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm at the wrong side of town. They are about to, they about to mm-hmm. follow us, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> But um, there is mm-hmm. also that aspect of, wow, you know, there's something, there's something un, unexpressible about you that I can't find the words mm-hmm. to say. All I can do is look and, and hope that the words will come to me, you know? So, um, yeah. That's right. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. I've had, now you grew up in North Carolina. I grew up in Texas and Virginia and other places that people think, oh, we're not supposed to go to. And I've had the, you know, old hillbilly white man with overalls sat down next to me and my mom in a Cracker Barrel and bless his heart, trying so hard to be kind, Mm -hmm. but not even having the right words to use. Mm -hmm. You know, saying things like, oh, I've got this good old boyfriend. His name is Joe. Do y'all know him? Like all black people know each other. Right, we're on you know, <laughs> knocking the chip off your shoulder and being willing to have those interactions can really, truly change a person's mind. It really can go a long way towards us mm-hmm. sort of mending gaps in this world. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. I, it's so funny you say that because I live in Virginia now. So I, um, I was at a Walmart one time and this older woman approached me of non-African-American descent and she Uh, you are such a gorgeous color and um, at the time I didn't really know how to respond you know like mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, I was friendly. I smiled. And I mean, I, I you're like, did you mean my toenail polish? Because it's the summer, you know. <laughs> and I'm uh, just trying to get some clarity, you know. And um, <laughs> she was like, no. And then she waved her hand over my forearm, and I was like, mm. oh lord. Mm. Um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go. Mm. This is just this is too much. Mm. I've never had someone come up to me and and use that type of compliment. It, I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. It just felt very strange. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess we do need to have more of those conversations. And I could have handled that situation like, hey, that's not, you know, a nice thing to say to someone. That's it's actually quite mm-hmm. offensive. And and men that gap, like you said, because it was very clear that she had no intention of being disrespectful. She thought she was genuinely giving me, you know, a compliment. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you're listening out there, don't don't tell black people they're a pretty color. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That is so cute. Bless her heart. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that maybe coming into the knowledge of your beauty definitely opens your mind up to seeing, oh, well, they're just thrown off because I'm so beautiful. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, they don't, you don't, growing up, the society doesn't allow you to see yourself that way. So you don't know at mm. first that that's a compliment and the person mm-hmm. is just too awestruck to know what to say. Mm, yeah, she maybe she meant to say something else. I'm hoping she deep down inside she meant to say something else. She just, you know, you under pressure, you kind of say the wrong thing. So I'm thinking, oh yeah, that, that's kind of what happened. So, yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. That is so. That's a great example. Great story. Um, and it happens to men, right? Men always. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my, your name is, I mean, uh, uh, you know, tongue tied. But that yep. happens to people, you know, when they're struck. Yep, exactly. So, okay, so you said you did the first one pretty much by yourself. How did you find your editor? I went through freelancer.com and um, okay. just read the reviews on her and um, I just took a chance, you know. Um, okay. And she was good at her job. So I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So what about your next one? So when you go through for the audience who doesn't know, what does it mean to say I'm going to professionally publish? So professionally publish, um, it means different things to different people. There's different ways you can do it. Um, You can self-publish through um, a a large bookstore like Amazon or through Ingram Spark or things like that. And then you can also do traditionally publish, which is sending out your manuscript to um, different uh, book publishers, whether they're small press, independently published, or the larger ones, like your big five, your HarperCollins and um, oh, Penguin Random House, things like that. But for me, I like the control of self-publishing. Um, there's a lot more you can do when you are publishing yourself. You, you have control over the cover art, the creative process, and um, as far as how you want your book to be perceived and how you want to market your book, essentially. I agree. Now, if someone came to you and said, oh my gosh, this Burning Out Embers is getting so much you know, response, I want to um, publish it, would you allow a publisher to have it? Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. As long as we, you know, negotiate the the specifics about it, then absolutely I'm open to that as well. 
Because we talk about that a lot because it pains me to see um, authors sort of going through that feeling of I'm not good enough because mm-hmm. they're trying to submit to publishers and getting rejected. And, yeah. and it, it kind of, it makes me sad. Um, and so I try to encourage people, if you feel like you're not being well received and you think that your story is important to tell, tell it, do the work behind it, promote it. And then, you know, just like a, a music artist, you know, sometimes you get more respect from the music industry when you've already got a following. So mm-hmm. that's why I wanted to ask you that. Would you be willing? Because somebody's going to come a calling. <laughs> yes, um, hopefully. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of books that started out self-published that went on to be an amazing bestsellers like Aragon. And then the rich dad, poor dad, mm-hmm. that started out as self-published and eventually got picked up by a larger mm-hmm. company and became a worldwide worldwide phenomenon. So um, it's mm-hmm. quite possibly, you know, I'm definitely keeping my options open as long as we keep the integrity of the story. I'm not trying to whitewash any of my characters, let it be known. You heard it here first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, that's my biggest fear that someone's like, we like Solana fonts. And I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. not trying to go there mm-hmm. and you know if you care enough about the story and, and what it is at its core you'll keep it essentially where it is you know so that's my take because if you change the characters it won't be the same story absolutely not and and that's my only kind of caveat that's a deal breaker mm-hmm. you could have dinner with anyone and it doesn't just have to be a writer any person dead or alive who would it be these questions are so hard for me. Uh, because, oh gosh! Honestly, you have I, a hard time picking one person. Yeah, I'd like to meet Leanne me Moriarty. Too. She she's helped me write a lot of my books. I'd like to meet Mich- Michelle Obama. Like she's such a, a huge role model for me. And I'd like to meet um, Stan Lee. But you know. Um, I know. You know, I'd like to meet a lot of people just because a lot of their work has inspired my own. And, you know, Stan Lee, back to him, he, uh, his comics were inspired, well, X-Men specifically were inspired by the civil rights movement and, and how people were, weren't treated fairly. And, um, mm-hmm. and the idea of him taking... He single-handedly uh, changed the world, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, the way that he took a, a, Such a, a, great man. a social construct and made it into something that people could digest and understand, hey, that's not right for mutants, but yet we're doing it to real-life people. What's the difference, you know? That's and, right. Um, that's right. That's what inspires my writing. Like, that's not fair people treat so on that way. Well, people do it all the time, you know? So that's right. It's, that's right. This is reflecting a mirror on, on society and just in a fantasy world. That's the only difference. Yes. Yes. And sometimes, like we said before, you, people can't see it unless you do put it into a fantasy world. Exactly. Crazy, right? Mm. <laughs> Ego. Mm. I have had such a great time talking to you. I I wish we could do this for another hour. So you definitely are going to have to come back. Okay, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) When can we expect the birth crisis to be out? Oh, um, so I'm still in the writing process. Um, That could take another two months. And then if it's picked up by a traditional publisher, that could be anywhere from six to 12 months. So, um, we're we're TBD. 
we're TBD on okay. the birth crisis, but I will be sharing excerpts. Um, I'll share maybe a chapter or two on my page where you can find the link. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll mm-hmm. definitely keep you updated on the progress as far as the actual date is to be determined. And there's a place where you can go um, on Janice's. First of all, first go follow her. If you're on Instagram, go follow her on Instagram, Burning Out Embers, but there's underscores in there. Um, you got tell, tell us exactly how it's spelled out so, so it's people can find you. Burning Out underscore Embers, so B-U-R-N-I-N-G-O-U-T underscore Embers, E-M-B-E-R-S. It's your name. How do you spell that out? Yes. So Twitter, you can find me at I am Janice underscore. It is I A M J A N I E C E underscore. Okay. And then absolutely go to her website, you guys, and um, go to her website and sign up for her um, updates so that you can stay updated and go to Amazon and get this yes, book. It's get actually. It discounted you can get like a ebook for dirt cheap i mean it's ridiculous how low (laughs) yes please if you don't have a dollar 99 message me and i will (laughs) gift it to you please get this book it's so amazing if you care anything about women if you care anything about black women mm-hmm. if you are part of this movement before you go on twitter and rant and rave about the president go read this book if you really truly care go get some insight that's how you can help us please mm-hmm. find out what it's like to walk in my shoes go get this book and and follow her send us some questions janice will um have a special link where if you send us questions she'll be able to answer and if you send us a message then mm-hmm. i'll go ahead and air your question on air and and hopefully we'll have her back very very soon anything any new announcements (laughs) updates anything you've got going on promise me that you'll come back and talk with us about it absolutely awesome i appreciate you so much this has been so much fun you guys listen share retweet tell everybody you know and we'll be talking with janice again soon i appreciate you guys for sticking with us for this writing lifestyle episode in this creator's creator series for the living sugar-free lifestyle show and we'll be back to talk to you guys again next week thank you so much janice thank you so much for having me i almost forgot i promised you guys i was going to give an ebook away today i'm going to be giving a copy of or excuse me not a copy i'm not going to send a a hard copy to your house i don't want your address i'm going to send you an ebook though of burning out embers so if you want to get this ebook and read it asap all you have to do is go over to facebook and go to my sugar-free coach page on facebook and post that you listen to this show and how awesome you thought it was share a comment if you'd like, um, send us a message and ask a question of Janice. We'll have her back to answer those questions, as I mentioned. Let us know, um, you know, which Living Sugar-Free Lifestyle show is your favorite. Who would you like to hear more from? I really don't care what you do. Just engage and share some feedback. Specifically, let us know you listen to today's show with Janice Malone and that you want that burning out embers ebook and um, I'll respond I'll shoot you a private message and I will get your email address and I will send you that ebook 
today. Alrighty, you all have a great day and enjoy your weekend. Happy Friday. And next week, we're going to be hearing from first Kyle Hester, who is the producer of Preacher Six. Um, and we're going to be hearing from him on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we're going to be hearing from John M. Ketchum, uh, The Zero's Journey. So stick with us. Come back next week, and uh, we'll have some more great interviews for you. Look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Take care.